My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome to History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects, Episode 18, The Hosanna Shout. If I were to tell you the phrase, remember the Alamo, most people would instantly recognize it and know the story behind it. However, when the Mexican military was defeated in 1836 in Texas, there was another less-known phrase that rung out in the battle. The phrase is remember Goliad. On March 19, 1836, James Walker Fannin, colonel in the Army of the Republic of Texas, was in a scary spot. After his men had failed to reinforce the Alamo, which was taken by the Mexicans, they were headed to Goliad as fast as possible to hunker down and prepare to fight. Unfortunately for the Texans, the Mexican military had captured one of Fannin's messengers and were aware of his plans, so they cut him off at Coleto Creek, where a fierce battle ensued. There, Colonel Fannin and his 500 soldiers held up well throughout the day against the Mexican army. Up against superior numbers, they had killed about 200 Mexicans. However, that night, things took a turn for the worst, as the Mexican forces were reinforced by men and cannon. The next day, Colonel Fannin and his men decided under fierce pressure to surrender. They were marched to Goliad and imprisoned at Fort Defiance. General Urea of the Mexican military wrote to Santa Ana to ask for clemency for the Texans, and so the Texans expected to be set free within weeks of being captured. But General Santa Ana, the leader of the Mexican military, would have none of it. He ordered the execution of all the captured Texans. So a few days later, on March 27, 1836, the 400-plus Texans captured at Goliad were marched out in a line and shot at point-blank range by the Mexican military. Just a few weeks later, cries of Remember Goliad and Remember the Alamo infused the Texans with the strength to defeat Santa Ana and his forces and drive them out of Texas for good. Now, circling back to our Mormon history, on the very same day that the Texans were being executed in Goliad, March 27, 1836, 1,468 miles away in Kirtland, Ohio, the Mormons were shouting too. Today's object is the Hosanna Shout. So, what is the Hosanna Shout? First off, I should probably tell you that the Hosanna Shout isn't an object per se, but it's my podcast, so I'm breaking the rules on this one. The word Hosanna is a word of Hebrew origin, which literally means save now, or save we pray, or save we beseech thee. It can be used as both a chant of praise and glory to God and an entreaty for his blessings. According to one Mormon apostle, the Hosanna shout hearkens to Psalm 118, which reads, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So that is the word Hosanna. What is the historical origin for the Hosanna shout? In the Old Testament, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, we're told how the Jews were commanded to gather around the temple where a priest would daily recite Psalm 118 at the altar. The covenant Jews were commanded to rejoice before the Lord, and on the seventh day of the feast, which was called the Great Hosanna, 
They would stand before the temple with trumpets sounding and wave palm branches and shout, Hosanna, over and over. So, essentially, the Hosanna shout is simultaneously a whole-souled praise given to the full limit of one's strength and a cry for the Lord to come and save us now. You may recall in the New Testament, the multitude invoked words similar to the Hosanna shout in an excited cry of praise when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the Book of Mormon, an object we covered in episode 6, it tells the story of when a resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to the ancient inhabitants of the Americas. The Book of Mormon explains that the people went forward and felt the marks in Jesus' hands and feet. And they cried with one accord, saying, Quote, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. End quote. So, how did the Hosanna shout come to be used in Kirtland, Ohio? In the summer of 1833, after Joseph Smith had returned from Missouri, he was meeting with the Mormon leadership to discuss what was to be done about the prayer house they were meeting in at the time. As their numbers were growing, it was no longer large enough to hold the Mormons and serve their purposes. Joseph Smith seemed to already have a building in mind, but he asked the brethren first to relay their ideas. A debate broke out about the materials to be used on the building. Some wanted a frame building, but others thought that was too expensive. So they argued that a log building would work better. Joseph then arose and said, Remember, this is a house of God, and shall we, brethren, build a house of God of logs? No, I have a better plan than that. I have the plan of the house of the Lord given by himself. You will see by this difference between our calculations and his idea of things. Joseph Smith then laid out what he said had been revealed to him from God. They were to build a temple. The brethren were thrilled, especially Hiram, Joseph's brother, who after they chose the spot for the building, ran to collect tools so he could be the first to work on the temple. Now, the Mormons didn't know how to build a temple. Most of them were farmers, but Joseph told them that God would show them what to do. So they worked continuously on the temple for almost three years, with only a few breaks during the very cold winter months and for Zion's camp. Now, when they started, the Mormons wanted to build the temple from brick. However, their bricks crumbled when they cooked them. So after digging the foundations and getting ready for the walls, Artemis Millet approached from Canada. Artemis's history is a bit contested as to when he actually joined the Mormon church, but the story I like best was the one where the Mormons now needed an accomplished stonemason to work on the temple. According to this story, Lorenzo Young then said, I know a stonemason in Canada that could do the job, but he's not Mormon. Joseph Smith thought about this for a bit and then turned to Brigham Young and told him he was called on a mission to Canada to find Artemis Millet, baptize him, and bring him to work on the temple. Brigham Young did it, and Artemis was put to work on the temple right away. Artemis Millet brought a building technique new to the area, where you gathered pieces of sandstone, and using mortar to hold that stone together, they then built walls two feet thick and about 45 feet high. They would then immediately apply a hard plaster or stucco finish to the outside of the walls. The walls were described in 1836 as a bluish-gray color, Artemis Millet also sent out some of the young people to collect glass and crockery, which was crushed up and dumped into the stucco so that when the sun hit the building, it would cast off a brilliant sparkle. 
The wood shingles for the roof were dipped in red lead paint to help preserve them, and lastly the front doors were colored olive green. It was a very bright and colorful temple. Now, inside the temple, there were a number of interesting features. First, there were tiered pulpits where the brethren of the priesthood could sit according to their office. There were also long canvas veils that were added for functionality. The veils were basically room dividers that were made of canvas and painted heavily white. And they were kind of like sails on a ship and operated like theater curtains. They had ropes and pulleys, and they could split the large room into four small rooms. They could then divide off all the pulpits. This then allowed them to drop the curtains, stick an elder in each corner, and have four meetings going at a time. The temple also had three stories. The first floor was called the House of Prayer. The Mormons would frequently pack it with almost a thousand people for Thursday night prayer meetings and for the dedication ceremony. The second floor was called a House of Learning. It was structured almost exactly like the first floor, but was devoted to training the church's priesthood holders. It was also called the School of the Prophets. It also had the veil and curtain systems as were installed on the first floor. The third floor was called the House of Order. In the evenings, the different quorums would meet in the smaller rooms to plan and teach. The high priests met on Monday nights, the seventies on Tuesday nights, and the elders on Wednesday nights. Joseph Smith also had a private study on the third floor. It was in that office where he wrote the dedicatory prayer for the Kirtland Temple. There were also five rooms on this third floor used for the Kirtland High School. Nearly 140 students filled the attic story to take geography, reading, and writing classes. Joseph Smith and the Mormon leaders even contracted a Hebrew grammar instructor to teach them in this setting. So the Kirtland Temple wasn't just a building for worship. It was a school and served for administration purposes. It should be noted that Joseph Smith had planned to organize Kirtland like the Platte of Zion. Now, if you aren't familiar with the Platte, I recommend you go back and listen to episode 12. In that plan, there were originally plans to place three temples on these lots in Kirtland. The other two temples, however, never came to fruition. So, the temple's finished, and we've now arrived on our date of March 27th, 1836. While the poor Texans were dying at the hands of the Mexican military, Joseph Smith and the Mormons were dedicating their first temple. An estimated 1,000 people attended the dedication on March 27th. A repeat dedication ceremony was held on March 31st. It was a time of great rejoicing for the Mormons. Dedicatory anthems were sung, including The Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning, which was written for this occasion. The sacrament was administered. The inspired dedicatory prayer, filled with Hebraic overtones, became the pattern for all subsequent temple dedications in the Mormon Church. In this one, the prophet pleaded with the Lord for the visible manifestation of his divine presence, as was done in the Tabernacle of Moses, at Solomon's Temple, and on the day of Pentecost. Joseph Smith said, And let thy house be filled as with a rushing mighty wind, with thy glory. Many people recorded the fulfillment of that prayer. Eliza R. Snow wrote in her journal, The ceremonies of that dedication may be rehearsed, but no mortal language can describe the heavenly manifestations of that memorable day. Angels appeared to some of us, while a sense of divine presence was realized by all present, and each heart was filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. After the dedicatory prayer, the Mormons performed the Hosanna shout for the first time. George A. Smith said that they stood and gave the Hosanna shout with such power 
it seemed almost sufficient to raise the roof of the building. In the coming days, many Mormons would record seeing angels on or around the Kirtland Temple. Joseph Smith would tell that he and Oliver Cowdery, while in the temple, were swept up in a vision where they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, how is the Hosanna shout performed? The Mormons, while in the temple, would stand together. Generally, they'd face east where they're told Christ will come from. They then wave white handkerchiefs as if to beckon him, much like worshippers waved palms when the Messiah rode into Jerusalem. Then, in a Zion-like spirit of oneness, they unitedly shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb, repeated three times and finishing with, Amen, Amen, and Amen. This Hosanna shout has been replicated in every temple the Mormon Church has built up and dedicated to this day. Future Mormon President Lorenzo Snow taught that the Hosanna shout will herald in the Messiah when he comes in the glory of the Father. It is meant to memorialize the great council in heaven when the plan of salvation was announced by God and Jesus Christ, and Jesus was chosen as our Savior. And according to the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 7, the morning stars sang together, and the angels shouted for joy. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects, episode 18, The Hosanna Shout. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at Joe, H-O-M-C, History of Mormon Church at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or leave me a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening.